Mark chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be start, we're kind of starting a new series this morning called These Hands Are Dirty. And we're going to be looking at some different things in the Mark chapter 7 over the next several weeks that are considered dirty. And he was very poor. 
each day you would wake up in the morning and you would spend time with God and talk to God. He would get up and because he was poor, he would take a, a dish, a, a butter dish you know, with butter in it, and he would place it on his windowsill as an offering to God saying, God, you know, I don't have much. I don't have much to eat. I don't have much money to do things with. But what I have, God, I am giving back to you. That was his act of worship to God, taking that butter dish and putting it on the windowsill. Well, it just so happened that this, this, this man had a cat. And if, you have, if you're like me and you have cats, does anybody want cats? <laughs> Brenda's is looking all ball at me. <laughs> but anyway, if you, have, if you have cats, you know they can be cute, but they also can get very mischievous. And um, so this, this holy man, he had a cat, and his cat saw that butter dish, and you can guess what that cat did. It jumped up on the window sill and began to eat the butter that this man had set aside. As a sacrifice to God. So what's the holy man do? He gets a rope, ties around the cat's neck, and he ties that cat to the bedpost. Solve that problem. That cat can't get away. He's stuck. Nowhere to go. Well, as time goes on and, and other people begin to, to hear of this man's practice and his devotion to God, they start coming to worship with him. He's come spend time in prayer with this man. Even after he passes and the generations pass by, they continue to come to this man's house to pray. And not only that, they continue to take the, the butter dish and put it up on the windowsill. And not only that, they continue to buy cats to tie the bedposts to honor that man's tradition. So we, we, we see, it started off as a good, a good tradition. This man was trying to honor God with his life, right? Doing what we think he should do, get up and pray each day and take what he has and, and put that butter dish and offer it as a sacrifice to God, saying, Look, God, even the little bit I have is yours. That's all great. Then they started copying the part of the tradition that really didn't mean anything. The, 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 the fact that he tied the cat to the bedpost lost its understanding as the years went by. They just thought he did it as part of the ritual. So this morning, as we look to our text, we're going to be talking about tradition. How important is tradition to the life of the believer? How important is tradition to you and me? And so as we look to our text this morning, we're, we're going to be asking ourselves this question. So Mark chapter 7, 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, according to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups of as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples leave, live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. 
as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachers' teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And, Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is forbidden, that is a gift devoted to God, then you are no longer then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, see right there, that's tradition of the church. It's, it's us taking a minute recognizing the, the importance of the Bible. Let's take a minute recognizing how blessed we are to have the Word of God to be able to read and study. Um, and if you were at the missionary thing in Springboro a few weeks ago, there are pastors preaching on Sunday mornings that don't even have the Bible to preach with. And here we are, we have, we have ones that just sit in the pew doing anything. So, one of the things that I love about the book of Mark, and I've been, I've been, if, you, if you've been here coming to this church at all, you recognize that we are slowly working our way through the book of Mark. Matter of fact, I, you guys picked up with me, I think, in Mark chapter 5. And I, I've actually been teaching in the book of Mark when I was still a youth pastor with the teenagers back starting in April 2016. And we are just now in chapter 7. Alright, now, I got this disclaimer out there. 
This is not the Bible telling you it's okay to not wash your hands. It's very important that you wash your hands. Okay, your hands can touch all kinds of icky things and get all kinds of germs on them. It's very important that you wash them. If you're going to be involved in the church harvest dinner, Brenda expects you to wash your hands before preparing the food and before you eat it and touch it, okay? <laughs> Make sure you do that. That's a, that's a good practice. But what, what, what Mark is referring to here, and what the, what the, the Pharisees took notice of as the disciples, it wasn't that the disciples don't wash their hands at all. It's they didn't wash their hands according to the custom of the Jews. And the way the Jews washed their hands is they would, they would it was like a, almost a scrubbing, scrubbing up for surgery. And they would start at your hands, and then they worked all the way up to the wrist and to the elbow. They wanted to make sure all of that was good and clean. And when it, when it talks about unclean, it's not talking about, well, their hands are dirty. It's talking about unclean as if you touch something, it's going to make it impure. It's going to defile it. And it's going to have to be re-washed and re-cleaned and re-sterile you know, in order to be consecrated to God. And the, and the disciples do not do this. And you have to understand who the Pharisees are. They, these guys are the religious elite. They know the law. And not only that, not only do they have the law, which is the Ten Commandments, not only do they have that, but they also have made their own set of rules. They came up with this, this holding to the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders isn't some imaginary thing. It's an oral tradition in the Jewish faith that was passed down from generation to generation. It was a set of 619 standards to help the Jewish people not break one of the Ten Commandments. They created this wall of protection so they would they would not sin against God. And the disciples come in to eat dinner and they break it. And the Pharisees are upset. Verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teacher will all ask Jesus. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Notice what the Pharisees do. They don't go and talk to the disciples, ask them any questions about why they're doing what they're doing. They go straight to their teacher. And this act of going straight to their teacher reveals the heart of the Pharisees in this. They are, they are at this meeting not to glorify God, not to, to hear and learn from Jesus. They're there to try and catch Jesus in a trap in his words. Because when they come to him and they ask the question, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? They are asking that with, a, with, with an accusation already in mind. They have already formed opinion on Jesus at this point. And their opinion of Jesus is, based on his disciples' action, is that there is no way Jesus could be a man of God or a teacher of God if his disciples do not wash their hands before they eat and honor the tradition of the elders. There's no way Jesus could be a good religious teacher. They were calling into question Jesus' identity and who he was. 
So Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That word hypocrite right there, it literally translates to an actor. You see, the, 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 the Pharisees, they had these 618 rules that they, they, they had placed as a protection so they didn't break one of the Ten Commandments. And they practiced them. They stuck to them strictly. They made sure the others around them stuck to them as, as strictly as they did. But what their practice could not do was fix what was going on really in here. And that was revealed when they came to Jesus and said, how, how, how could you be a holy man if your disciples don't wash their hands first? Jesus continues, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Remember, this is, you, you, you can look through the Old Testament, but you're never going to find God saying to Moses, take this to the people. It's not there. This is an oral tradition passed down from rabbi to rabbi, from person to person. Dad, I've had enough of you. 
You know, I, I know it's my responsibility to take care of you and look after you as you get old and make sure you're taken care of. But you know what? I'm not going to do it. So the resources that I have that I would have given to you to help you, I'm not going to give. As a matter of fact, I am going to make a vow and give it to God so I don't have to. And this was the practice of the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders of the day. They know what the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and mother. But they made up their own teaching. And not only did they make up their own teaching, they went and they searched the Old Testament and they found a scripture that supported their idea. They turned to the book of Numbers and there's a verse in Numbers that says that if a man makes a vow, he must not break it. And so the, the religious leaders, they took that verse and they clung to it. And they developed this whole doctrine, this whole belief in this idea of Corbin. That if you take a gift and you dedicate it to God, even in the heat of the moment, once it's dedicated to God, you can't get it back. Even if the someone would have a change of heart and change their mind and he would go to the religious leaders and say, hey, you know what? That was, that was a decision made in haste and anger and I want to do the right thing before God and honor my mother, my mother and my father. Those religious leaders would look at and say, well, that's too bad. I, I know your mom and dad are starving and they need medical care, but guess what? But you dedicated that gift to God you can't get it back home. See what's something wrong with that? A gift that was given to glorify God's use for God's purpose in God's kingdom was being refused to be used for God's purpose and for God's kingdom. Verse 13. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Jesus literally looks at the Pharisees and says, this is a very dirty tradition. It's a tradition that you started on your own. You found a scripture verse to support yourself so you can pat yourself on the back and, and justify this in your mind. And by your own beliefs, you've literally looked at the law of God and say, that law isn't good enough. That law isn't right. My way is better. And by doing so, they, they, they essentially, the, the word you nullify really means annulment. You annul the law of God. You, make, you, you strip away all of its authority, all of its power, all of it, the intention behind it. Strip away because you want to follow and do your own thing. Your own tradition. See, we talked earlier that tradition can be important. Tradition is valuable. And actually, to answer the question that we're asking ourselves looking at this passage of how important is tradition in the life of the believer, is, is tradition important to you and me? And the answer to that question is emphatically yes. Tradition is absolutely 100% important to our lives as believers. The 
Central, where we use Welch's grape juice and some cracker I bought from the store down the street. We use those to remember what Jesus did for us. And that's valuable. How, how, how often in our lives do we get so busy and caught up in things that we forget what Jesus did for us? And communion is that call to remember again. It's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not remembrance and, oh, I feel sorry about it. Oh, it's, like, it's so sad that it happened. It's, it's, I can't believe Jesus did this. And I have a reason to celebrate. I have a reason to hope. I have a reason to be alive. Because of what Jesus did for me. That's communion. That's valuable. What about the tradition of baptism? That started with John the Baptist and Jesus. And even before that, that, that we keep doing Baptism, that act of, you know, you, you become a believer in Jesus Christ and, and you want to declare that to the world. You want, you want to go through this tradition of baptism to show the world that you now have belonged to Jesus, that his blood, just like that water, has washed away your sins. You see, it's not the, it's not the baptism waters that save you. You've already been saved. You've already experienced Jesus in your life. Baptism is you proclaiming that to the rest of the world. That's a tradition that's valuable. Any tradition that points to salvation in Jesus Christ is valuable. Any tradition that points to, points to salvation in Jesus Christ is valuable. And it's something we should hold on to. It's something we should treasure. It's something we should not forget or overlook and not and stop doing. However, not all traditions are like that. Not all traditions are valuable. Not all traditions point to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, some traditions are just useless. They served a purpose for a time, but after that time has passed, after that season of life has gone away, that tradition is no longer of value. Think of our, 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 friend, our, you know, our friend, the religious man in China. You know, he tied that cat to that bedpost. So the cat wouldn't eat the butter he had dedicated to God. It meant something to him. It didn't mean nothing to the generations that followed. They just did it because they always had it. When a tradition becomes useless, when anything of God that was once used to glorify God becomes useless, what does Jesus tell us? The salt he loses its salt and trampled by men. It serves no purpose, it's useless. Some traditions can even be evil, like the, what the Pharisees are practicing. This idea that, you know, just because you dedicate something to God, you don't have to honor your, your father, father and your mother anymore. That's, that is not just against the law of God, that is anti-God. That's disrespecting God, that's, that's completely canceling out what he did for you. See, the issue with tradition, and tradition is important, and I, I believe that there's something out there in theological circles called the Wesley Quadrilateral. Okay? That's a dangerous word. 
teaches is that our, our understanding of truth in the world around us is shaped by four things. One is scripture. One is experience. One is this, the logic. And one is tradition. Those four things shape our understanding of life, of God, of the, of the word of God.
And somehow my mind, I twisted and equated that it must be the, it must be the style of song and music that draws people to Jesus. But that's not true. That's not true. You know why I know that? Because two, two or three weeks ago, I went to a concert with Chris Layton. And there's, a, there's an old Christian rock band called Deciding. I mean, the guy's got tattoos up and down his arm. His hair is really long. And he's got this really weird thing on his face that's weird to look in the mind. About midway through this guy's hard rock concert. I mean, they are hard. I mean, they, it's a, it, you'll get a headache if you go and headbang with them, okay? That's, that's their style of music. But midway through this guy's concert, he stops and preaches a message on salvation. And it was one of the most theologically profound and simple sermons I have ever heard in my life. And I'm sure there were kids, I mean, disciple is old. Like they were kind of starting to get that way when I was in high school. Yeah, here are these new youngsters listening to this style of music, and he's preaching the word of God to them, and he gives an invitation to 40 to 50 young men and women raise their hands and said they want to accept Jesus. All because this guy was obedient to the spirit and, and the style of worship and music that God had called him to. He was true to himself, which means he was true to God, and God used him to glorify him for his purpose and his reason. And that purpose and reason is to, to point to the salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, tradition... That super sees the law of God is not a super listen, a suitable replacement. Traditions of men that replace that try and replace the law of God are not capable of doing what God's law is calling us to do. Paul writes this in response to that. He says in Galatians 3:17. Matter of fact, Paul goes a step further. He's going to say that the law itself, the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave to Moses. And Moses took down that mountain and showed it to the people. He's going to tell, he, he tells us that it's pointing to something else. It's pointing to something greater than the law itself. The very laws that we are called to live by, the very standard of holiness that God calls us, that judges us by, that standard of holiness that doesn't change because we doesn't, don't like it. It doesn't lower because we don't think we can get there. The holiness of God stays right here the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the law of God. And Paul, he writes this. He says, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years later, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. What Paul is writing, what Paul is saying, the very law itself is pointing to salvation in Jesus Christ.
that the, even the law points to. Don't believe me, listen to this. Jesus says this. And he's going to summarize all ten commandments down into two. If you really sit down and look at the ten commandments, and you look at Jesus' greatest two commandments, he summarizes them all into two. And it's, it's simply this. Love God. Love others. There is no other commandment greater than these. That is, that is the tradition. That all other traditions in the church, all other traditions that we practice, all other traditions that we cling to, they should point to loving God and loving others. And if it does not do that, then it is useless. If it hinders people from doing that, then it is evil and needs to be thrown out. Because the covenant of God, the tradition that God wants us to pass down, is this one right here is that God loves you. God has a plan for you. God wants to heal you. God wants to fix you. God wants to free you from the chains of bondage and set you free. And see, that freedom isn't a willy-nilly to do whatever you want. It's not to live however. No, God frees you so you can live in the life that he's given you. See, God searches and looks for a saved and sanctified heart. That's the tradition that God's after. That's what he wants. God searches for practices that point others to having a saved and sanctified heart. Anything else that falls short of that is a dirty tradition. I'm here to tell you something this morning. And believe me, I grew up in a church. I had a lot of those people. They were great people of God, but they had a lot of dirty traditions that I still have to work through. But those dirty traditions, if you cling to them and you, and you keep trying to serve God and you can't figure out why it's not working, you're going to end up having to go to therapy because everything you believe doesn't make sense. It's not working in you. And you blame God. You get angry God with God. You get frustrated. And like it's all His fault. But the problem isn't God. It's us. We're stuck to these dirty traditions and they're destroying us. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, it's not that complicated. I, I can set you free. I have the key to the chains that you're clinging, that are clinging to you. You just have to have faith in me. And I will set you free to live for me. I'm going to ask Jane to come. We're going to close out the song together. And church, this song requires you to be loud. I'm serious. It's uh, hymn number 225. I guess I don't know if I can remember this song. This song is, And Can It Be? And I'm going to read through the lyrics real quick before we sing it. It says, and, it can, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and naked.
night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. And I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to set us free from the chains of the past, the dirty traditions that we keep doing that we don't know why we do it, the dirty traditions that hinder us from loving God and loving others. And church, I want us to close singing that song because that's what God wants to do in our lives, in the lives of this community. So would you stand and sing with me?
jobs, whether it's conversating with our family members or, or here at the church, God, would your spirit of freedom go with us? And would that same spirit of freedom free us to point others to your salvation, a salvation that is full and free? Churches has lost the tradition of Wednesday night, of Sunday night. 